0: Hey, and thanks for listening to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond, and I'm pleased to be joined by pastor and author, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. So hello. Hi. Well, thanks for joining us today. And I usually ask my guests or talk to them about how I I know them. In this case, I really don't know you at all. (laughs) And I just kind of admire you from afar. So tell our listeners, tell me a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, I grew up in a very small town in Texas, in West Texas, uh, in a fundagelical church and in a really um, compassionate and kind family and um, left all of that as soon as I could. Uh, Pursued faith um, in the only way I knew how. I... I, um, Remained part of that fundagelical church for longer than was rational or psychologically healthy for me, but it just was the way I knew how and that in that church my calling to ministry was denied because women don't get ordained in yeah. that kind of church um, and eventually I made my way to the disciples and then eventually to church planting and here I am back in Texas where I said I would never live, but I think God is kind of hard of hearing you say anywhere but Texas and God says, huh? Texas all right, yeah yeah,
0: well, I love that term fundagelical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that's a mash between fundamentalist and evangelical
1: yeah,
0: do you yeah. mind sharing what that tradition was?
1: I-, I was in the Church of Christ like oh Ocala. yeah, hello, we're the only ones going to heaven Church of Christ
0: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, for our listeners, Katie and I are both ordained within disciples of Christ, so you mm-hmm. refer to him as disciples and As I understood it, or as I understand church history, the Church of Christ were kind of uh, liturgical cousins, you might say,
1: right? Theologically speaking, yeah. Historically speaking, we are absolutely cousins. We have the same founders. Um, It's just that uh, because of the principles the denomination in the first place was founded on, um, half its people went way to the right and half of its people went way to the left. So to move between those two little twigs on the family tree is actually to travel a great distance
0: is indeed yeah. uh, it is indeed I grew up independent Baptist uh, um, so not quite the same, but a similar travels somewhere. I'll say yeah. so um, you alluded to it a little bit tell me about if you don't mind how your experience of growing up in the Church of Christ in a in a tradition what that looked like in your past and and maybe a little bit what it looks like now
1: yeah. I've done a lot of work, uh, in therapy and prayer (laughs) to try to make sense out of my religious upbringing, because there's one way of narrating that story, uh, where I am a spiritual refugee myself, um, where my own full humanity is denied because I'm a woman, um, where just the, the dignity and wholeness of the whole Katie is not really, um, celebrated. And you know, there's there there are layers of uh hurt
2: uh uh-huh.
1: bordering on trauma that that come from an experience like that growing up. Yeah. Where I also really, really, really loved God and kind of wished that I didn't. I mean, if I could have been rid of the whole thing, I, I would have ditched it a bunch mm. of times in my very young adulthood. Yeah. And I just couldn't shake it. I know now that, you know, God was pursuing me with a calling to ministry, but for a long time I didn't even have language for that. I didn't yeah. even know that women ever did that. Sure. Um, so to grow up that way and have this deep love of God and the people of God as manifest in the church, even as the church keeps saying, no, 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 we don't want that much of you, wow. we want you, but not that much of you. Yeah. Um, that's a story of hurt. And I can still, I got some, a, a soft underbelly. I mean, people can sort of press that button on me and not even know they've done it. And yeah. I, it, you know, filled with grief that comes out as rage. On the other hand, uh, there's another way of narrating that story that I grew up in a congregation of really kind hearted people Mm. um, who loved me and Mm. loved my family and supported my family through some hard things And my family, uh, parents, siblings, just really dedicated to the life of that congregation. And it was our social circle. Um, And that had been generationally true Mm -hmm. on both my parents' sides. and so I I am really grateful now to that upbringing. It gave me some some good, good things that I carry with me to this day. And I've just had to learn to make peace with the parts of that yeah. that were diminishing to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great – I know for me, I've had, it like I said, a similar background. And that was – something that I've had to do is make peace with my past and try to find things, like you said, that I can take from it and value from it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm curious, was there like a moment where you had like almost like a – a deconversion or reconversion or if that makes sense. I know for me, I was, in the, I was taking a, a class at a state school in religious studies uh-huh. and I kind of got introduced to all these new yeah. ways of thinking about the world and Christianity and the Bible. It kind of just blew my mind and I said, oh my goodness, there's this whole new way of looking at the world of Christianity. I'm curious if, if there's something for you, you had had a, a kind of a pivotal moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there were a couple, well, I, there were, there are many, I've been, sure, I say sure. I've been converted so many times. I, I can't keep track because, yeah. because God is ever, um, uh, there, there are more and more little pieces of God that become clear, uh, as I go through life and you know get older, gain altitude. And all that. <laughs> um, but, but when I was very young, I went to college to study engineering mm, and, yeah. um, cause women could do anything, just not in the church. Right. <laughs> And there was a, there was a a dorm mate, a a, a friend who kept disappearing weirdly at different hours of the day. I couldn't understand it. And then I I started to understand that there were long seasons of the semester where he wasn't eating food until the sun went down. I could not figure out where to go. Why isn't he eating food? And it finally became clear to me, this man is Muslim and, and this man is more devout than I am. And that was a first because I hadn't ever met anyone wow. more devout in their faith than myself. And here he was practicing uh, prayer on the, you know, at certain hours, he was withdrawing from uh, social gatherings and from classes to pray in private places in a particular way. He was fasting and fasting and fasting through Ramadan. Um, and I thought, that's, wow, how could that be true? I thought I was the most devout human. <laughs> I mean, there's a kind of self-righteousness
2: Yeah, yeah. That
1: so that was just a huge eye opener for me that that the world is big and God is big. God is very big, and here is this person whom I love. I've just discovered this thing about. Then um, a couple years later, I had left the study of engineering because I was really terrible at it. I I liked it, but it's not the way my brain really works. Uh-huh. And I was. Uh, studying theology, like biblical studies, Christian theology for the yeah. first time. And it was such a kick. I just loved it. And I got into a class where the professor began a class on the synoptic gospels. Mm-hmm. And the professor uh, lectured that day on the historical Jesus. Oh, okay. and the idea that the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the gospel are not really the same. Mm-hmm. And that there is a whole field of study out there trying to sort of get behind the stories of the gospels to find out, who Jesus of Nazareth, that Palestinian Jew actually was. And as I it dawned on me what he was saying, I got really verklempt. I mean, really like upset, agita in my spirit. And yeah, I, I, sure. I dashed out of class, down to the bathroom, threw up my lunch. Wow. And then came back to class and sat down and started taking notes. And I thought, I am never going to think about things the same again. Wow. After that.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's kind of like the this is kind of a cliche image but what comes to mind for me is kind of the the matrix of the red pill and the blue pill like
2: yes yeah it's
0: such a cliche metaphor but for me it was the same way you kind of know you know what you know and there's no going back yep that's right well that's awesome thanks for sharing tell me what tell me if can in a what does it look like now maybe or what's what's so what contrasts now from your youth, perhaps your understanding of being a Christian.
1: Oh yeah, it, it was just such a dogged pursuit in my youth uh, for righteousness, mm. and righteousness included being right. Yeah, <laughs> being <laughs> right, uh, dogmatically speaking, was just was really really uh, important because because we loved God. And my idea about what God loved
2: was mm-hmm. that
1: God loves for us to be right and righteous to yeah. give intellectual assent to the right ideas about God. And, um, that, that is the pursuit. Um, I've let that go pretty much though. I still am uh, an avid student of the Bible, of theology, of Christian history, of, of, uh, of human history human being is so interesting to me, and, and I still um, I want to exercise my brain in service of my faith, but I am no longer afraid of not having it all right, and I am aware that God is far more interested in um, my own pursuit of righteousness as a way of being, uh, sort of a longing after God's heart, um, wanting to want what God wants. Um, which is just really different than just trying to get, get a list of things exactly right.
0: What a great contrast. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, when I was in high school, I kind of had a similar mentality of like, I mm-hmm. feel like I was just a, I was just a prick because I thought like that's what I was supposed to be. Oh, yeah. It's just like doing the right thing. Right. And that was what a good Christian young yep. man did. So, well, mm-hmm. thanks, Katie. I want to get into, uh, I love to hear more kind of about your story in Galileo church and then how that transformed into your book here but let's get right into it okay tell me like you allude to this in your book why start and i'm talking to you as a church planner myself why start a new church
1: yeah Uh, let me just say i tried for two decades uh as a solo pastor in small congregations which is the kind i prefer Mm -hmm. um where people know each other and are really doing life together and i i tried multiple times to do this sort of transformative work where a church that has been around for a while and has yeah. a way of things and a way of understanding the world and itself it's aging up it wants badly to attract and i'm going to just yep. just bracket that word attract newcomers and in particular they want straight white educated Young families families you know yeah. to come in and um I I just, I really tried it. I tried it with all the denominational tools. I hired the consultants, I read the books, I did the things and I I just wasn't any good at it. It wasn't, it did not happen Hmm. uh, in the congregations I served. There were a few times where I felt like, oh, we're really making progress here. We're really moving down a path toward how God wants to use us in this world. Um, But like in one heartbreaking case, it just felt like after I left that church for reasons that had to do with my family and not the church, Yeah. It was like I had spent all my time there stretching out a rubber band. And as soon as I was gone, it just went right back to the shape it was. Which is to say, that's not good ministry. I mean, I wasn't really sharing a vision, a mission with the whole church. I was just sort of by sheer force of will making stuff happen. Yeah. (laughs) Good. So I tried it. (laughs) So finally, starting a new church was a way to say, I'm so curious about how communities of trust in Jesus name could look different and I, and I think they could be beautiful and I want to try that. I want to get out on that frontier of spiritual, but not religious and try to see, um, if I've got any gifts that could be useful there.
0: Wow. That's brave. So, um, I love that look different communities of trust in Jesus name. I love the way you say that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you took kind of this idea of wanting to do something new, as I'm hearing it, in Jesus' name, looking different, and Galileo Church came out of that. Tell us a little bit about how that how that happened, how they got how they got rolling.
1: Wow, uh, it's so amazing. Um, you know, I was just like every pastor in North American mainline Protestant, mostly white Christianity. Um, that's the that's what I know. I want to speak from that yeah, yeah. context because that's what I know. Uh, just like all my colleagues and friends, we were all sitting in our executive style offices behind executive desks uh, panicking because Mm -hmm. the pews are not being repopulated by first gen Xers and then millennials. The gen Xers left and nobody really minded because there aren't that many of us. But when the millennials (laughs) didn't come back around after having been in youth group and stuff, then we started to panic and I'm reading all the books and the blog posts and stuff. And I'm thinking there's something going on. Like, why don't they want what we've worked so hard to preserve for them? Yeah. You know? Um, and then I realized that I, I actually knew by luck or by providence, I, there were some 20-somethings in my life, people that I already had relationships with, but I understood that I didn't understand anything about them. I didn't understand what made them tick and, what, you know. So I, I started um, convening a, a group a late night, Thursday night group of very young adults, just out of sheer curiosity about them. And I told them, I said, look, I just want to ask you, like, who are you? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What keeps you awake at night? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? Just tell me about your life. And um, that turned into a weekly gathering. I was cooking for it and bringing beer. They were sharing their life with me. and And then they were sharing their life with each other.
0: I understand the food and the beer was a big part of it, right? Just
1: a big part of it, yeah. They, yeah I mean, I the 20-something, of course, right?
0: Yeah. You know,
1: there were people in that group, I'm pretty sure, who never ate any meal that didn't come wrapped in paper or yeah. in a styrofoam box. Yeah. So to have some home cooking, I'm not that great a cook, but you know, I, something made out of ingredients in mm-hmm. someone's kitchen was kind of a big deal.
0: And a communal meal. A communal meal.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not in front of a screen. Yeah. You know, yeah. not just eating while you're distracted, but really just enjoying with people is a big deal. And that just that organically, and suddenly, and to my surprise, that turned into church. I mean, mm. it just all of a sudden, um, I looked around and 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 the, I, I tell a story in the book about how it happened. But I mean, one night I just realized all of a sudden, like it smacked me in my head, like you're this is church. What's happening right here Thursday night, 9 p.m. is actually church. Yeah. So. And we started talking about how could we, this group of friends that had been meeting for like, by that time, over a year, Wow. Um, could we, what would it look like, we said, what would it look like to sort of break this open in mm-hmm. order to make room for more people, Yeah. in order to make room for people who are not here yet. And when we got to that idea that there are people who would want this that are not here yet, that little group got on board, not 100% of them, but yeah. many of them got on board and said, yeah, okay, let's do it. What is? What do we have to do? What does it take? That's
0: great. <laughs> and how long has that been then?
1: We So we'll celebrate our seventh birthday on Pentecost. Wow. Uh, so in a week, like Sunday is our birthday. Yeah.
0: As we're recording this, uh, I'm wearing yeah. red. Well, kind of red <laughs> nice. because Pentecost is my favorite uh, nice. time of the church year. And you have kind of red. What color is your hair? Our listen- oh, that's pretty pink yeah Our listeners can't see it but we'll say it's pentecostish right <laughs> let's say that well here's what i want to know katie as a church planner so i can mm-hmm. learn from you yeah what's your what would you say is your biggest mistake or like your bis- biggest lesson learned
1: yeah i, mean, I could um, to hear
0: both but you, you share what <laughs> you're willing to
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there are There there are the there are concrete things and there yeah. are more sort of esoteric things. Yeah. Concretely, here's one. For a while, Galileo Church was really mobile. We had to be because we kept getting kicked out of places we rented. Yeah. Not because we didn't pay the rent, but because people would figure out what kind of church we were and then they didn't right. want us
2: there anymore. Yep.
1: And um I I talked about that because it was necessary at the time. As being a real blessing to us, I said, look, God's people have always been light on their feet. God calls us to not get, you know, stuck in one place, but to be ready to travel. Discipleship involves following. Yeah. So it's, it, it is all good. But the truth is, in retrospect, every time we had to move, our community took a hit. It was hard <laughs> on us. Yes, yeah. was yeah. extensive, like spiritually. And I yep. think part of that is because... Here we had gathered people who were sort of giving, not just church, but in some sense, giving faith, giving God one last chance. Yeah. And as soon as they found a tiny bit of stability, we'd be like, ha, huh, we're moving. Let's pack yeah. it all up. And by the way, I haven't found a new place yet. So yeah. pray with me, you know, and that was just bad.
0: That's, that's my, f- that's my hardest thing about in some of the ministry endeavors I've done is trying to, is trying to get back those people who are kind of like, I'll give it one more shot. And your heart kind of breaks for those people who you feel like, boy, they've trusted you to give it one more shot. And now. Yeah. uh,
1: And sometimes that's just circumstances.
0: What's uh, as a, as a church planner, I do say a lot of evangelical models and, and teachers, and that's certainly, you know, the evangelicals will say you move, you lose 50%, whether that's, I don't know if there's data behind that, but, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough metric. And I'm sure it sounds like you can speak to that.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: What's one, I'm curious too, what's one thing if you could go back in time and tell Katie uh, of what, 2013, 2015, whatever year it was, 2013 ish, Mm -hmm. what's one thing you would want your old self to know about church planning?
1: Uh, I was, I was not entirely prepared for how much it would change me. Wow. I think I would have said in 2013, look, I've, I've accumulated a lot of wisdom, like the kind of experience that comes from making mistakes before and learning <laughs> to do better. I've got, um, I've got all that under my belt and I'm really ready to, I'm gonna say this just in a, in a crass kind of way, I'm just really ready to help people. Yeah. Which is, uh, I, I'm embarrassed of that now because the truth is, as it has happened over these years, uh, I am the one who has been helped. Mm. Um, and I, I hate how self-centered that sounds, but I cannot deny no. yep. the conversion of my own heart in this process. It's really, it has really freed me and I'm, I am much better for it.
0: Wow. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, you've kind of taken all this and you've put it, this story into a book that mm-hmm. you're calling We Were Spiritual Refugees. Yeah. And as I understand, it, you're telling this story of kind of how Galileo Church came to be, yes? Mm-hmm. So what kind of push you said, hey, I need to put this into a book?
1: <laughs> there were a couple of things. Uh, one was, uh, maybe this happens to you too. I get messages, emails, phone calls from people who say, uh, I, I heard about your church on Facebook or I saw it online. I kind of want to do something like that. How, so tell me, how'd you get started? And I just found that I was sometimes getting into very long conversations one individual at a time
2: mm-hmm.
1: tell them about different aspects of Galileo church. It wasn't very systematic. It was just sort of me rambling. Yeah. It's very inefficient as a way to share. And yeah. I realized what they want is what I wanted when I started this whole deal, which is someone just to point me in a direction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not like a method. And my right. book is definitely not a method. It's just a deeply personal, mm-hmm. you know, contextual particularity. Uh, but uh People were just really hungry to know that it's possible. Yeah, and have some idea of the contours of the work, what it looks like. So writing the book was partly about that, answering questions that have been asked of me, and then it was also a necessity, as it turned out for me, after five years of doing the work nonstop, which was you know 70, 80 hours a week sometimes. Yeah, and it was exhausting, and it was all year long. just It was just a lot. I loved it, and that's why I did it so much. There's not a lot
0: of vacation weeks in church planning. I can. No, there's really
1: not. (laughs) Not that my church was demanding that of me. It wasn't that. But then I I just wanted it. I I wanted it. It meant I never stopped really to reflect what has happened here. What is happening here? How is this changing me? Is it working? I mean, beyond just the weekly metrics of who shows up, Mm -hmm. in what sense is this good for the world? Yeah. So to stop, to pause at the five-year mark just seemed like a smart thing to do just to get some perspective on what was happening there.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. And it sounds like you're kind of alluding to what your goal from, for the book was to, to partly to be kind of a teacher and inspiration for others. Anything you want to add to that more?
1: Yeah, I meet a lot of people um, from traditional church backgrounds, yeah. um, usually older than myself, who are really, really, really afraid? They're mm. afraid for the church's future. Mm. They're afraid for their children's and grandchildren's future, uh, and they're afraid what the world would look like if the church just sort of poofs out of existence. Yeah. And what I want to say to them is, church as you know it may well poof out of existence. Yeah. This pandemic may speed that along. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, and yet, uh, God still has people in this world. And God is still sending mm-hmm. uh, people into this world imbued with the spirit of the living Christ um, to, to embody love that is still happening. And they are still gathering in communities of belonging in communities of practice. And it's church is what it is. It is beautiful. And I want yeah. you to see it. I want you to know it's beautiful and stop being afraid.
0: Well, I really appreciate what you said there about fear amongst older generations. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I know for me as a younger person, mm-hmm. I should yeah. <laughs> in our context, I'm considered a younger person and most yes, contexts yeah. I'm not. Uh, yeah. In, in mainline Protestantism, I still consider a younger person. Mm-hmm. In mainline Protestantism, especially there's, I don't think we talk about it enough, this fear of yeah. the unknown of, yeah. of what will, and this fear kind of uh, inhibits people from doing anything because we're so feared of, so afraid of change, we just let's just keep everything the same because that's yeah. what we know.
1: Yeah, you know what else there is though? I think, and it it partners, it holds hands with that fear. I think there's a lot of shame also. Mm, yeah, in existing churches that are on the decline. Yep, there's a lot of shame that the thing their parents or grandparents built, they yep. have not been able to, you know, gift it to the next generation. Yeah, and they they're ashamed to let it die on their watch while they are responsible for it. And I don't. I don't know the magic um, potion for yeah. relieving that shame and just saying it's really, it's really not your fault. I mean, it yeah. is your problem. Like you're gonna have to figure out what to do about it. But we are in a cultural apocalypse here. The church is not <laughs> the only institution that is suffering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we everybody's trying to figure out how to bridge between people and form communities of trust. Mm-hmm. Churches also.
0: Yeah, that's great. Great. Shame. Yeah, that's great. So I love what you, um, this kind of rolls into what I want to talk about next is your point about the next church. Yeah. So uh, tell me what you see as like next church. So we talked about this old model, kind of not working anymore for this new kind of culture we're in. And what you see is this next model that you're working on now and you, and and as I understand in the book, kind of what you see is you're not, you're still in the now church, as you say, right? You're not sure what the next church totally is.
1: Well, I think, I think Galileo is out here on the frontier doing a kind okay. of next church, sure. um, kind of an R&D experiment in a way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very real to those of us who are part of it, but for yeah. people who are outside of it, I think they can look to it for data about what next church might look like. I mean, at yeah. least, um, yeah. At least to get a whiff of some of the characteristics, I think the next church will have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next church will be, for one thing, deeply contextual. And mm. anybody who doesn't know about that already, you, you just got to catch up because yeah. this idea, even with our best intentions, when we say things like "all are welcome," yep, and "all means all," I mean, I get that, and I I love that. The disciples certainly welcomed me when I was, you know, in need of welcome. But I think saying all misses the idea that everything is so niche now and that there is a particularity to people's context. That is, um, each, each of us making our own way quite differently in the world. And for a church to try, I think to just offer generically, like we just sort of do generic church. It's just church. Yeah. Not going to work for next church. So Galileo has gotten very specific and really particular. And if people say, yeah, but I don't like that thing you do, or I wish you did this instead. I say, you know what? There are some churches who do that instead, and you can totally go there and it's totally fine. It's really fine. So there's that. And then I think next church will have, um, a really light infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It will pivot quickly because that particularity shifts. So the church needs to be light and be able to shift. So none of these multi-page constitutions and bylaws that bind us to certain ways of being the lightness of that so that it can be fast um, and transparent Mm
2: -hmm.
1: about decision-making, about power, where it rests, who has it, um, how it gets used, transparency in that. um, People younger than myself demand it and will not, will not invest in any structure that they feel is not transparent and truthful yeah to um yeah
0: that's a great point you have about the deeply contextual I don't know if you see this down in Texas but in my neck of the woods it seems like the mainline Protestant churches will kind of they'll raise a rainbow flag and say hey we're LGBT affirming and just kind of be like hey when's everybody going to show up and it rarely works and I think it speaks to what you're saying is there has to be something you're offering those people that's relevant to their lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and that, that somehow, I mean, we, we at Galileo, we call them missional priorities. We have five mm-hmm. of them. They're very specific They're on the front page of the website. We recite them, uh, not like in a creedal way, but I mean, they get said every yeah. Sunday of the world. So by the yeah. time you've been there three or four Sundays, you, you know, this is what this church does. And I think that very particular combination of missional priorities is what, makes us us. We would never say that any other church should have those same missional priorities. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that other churches have different ones. But if those, if the priorities that we've named have resonance in your heart, it may be that those are your missional priorities too. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't that be something if you could come sort of, you know, journey together with people who are leaning in the same direction with you?
0: You know, that's a great point you bring up. And it kind of, I was going to ask you this, how can this help a, an established pastor? And my thought is that just saying your priorities each week would go a long way yeah. to an established church. Tell me, tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. But I think the first, in the first place, the established church, the, an established congregation has to get clear about what its missional priorities actually yeah, are. Right. And, I mean, what, what do you actually exist for in the world? If you, if you disappeared, who would miss you? Mm-hmm. You disappeared what work of god's big agenda would not be getting done in the yeah. place that you are like you got to get super clear about that and you have to make sure that your budget backs that up mm-hmm. i mean i think if i think if people from the outside of some of our congregations read our budget like the story that it is
2: mm-hmm. they would
1: say the missional parties of this church are to uh keep up property and pay personnel because that's where we spend all of our money yeah um and that's where we spend all of our time. Like if you if you just read through the minutes of a
0: right board meeting
1: board meeting, right? Where are we spending our energy and resources to keep up property and manage personnel? Well those nobody's excited about that. That's not the gospel. That isn't saving. <laughs> no one wants life. to give
0: to a, a building.
1: <laughs> no, no. So what does your church really <laughs> exist for? And I think uh partly in an effort to be kind to everyone and what what sort of everybody's interested in, I've definitely served in churches where the outreach budget was simply spent on, we just wrote checks
2: yeah.
1: to 30 different organizations. Yep. They were the 30 that people had mentioned in the yep. last few years, and we've always written checks to these 30, and that's that's really it. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted another one, we'd add 31, and we just divvy up the money, and that's what we do. But there's no real deep engagement of yeah. uh, their hearts in any of that.
0: That's great. Tell me, because I, I want to hear if I can, because I know you've got a building to pay, I guess. I'm guessing you probably got staff people uh, mm-hmm. on payroll. How does, is it, is it about telling, the, telling a story? Is it about your narrative of your budget? Because I'm guessing you have many similar expenses that an established church has. So how does that look different for you at Galileo? And how might that translate to an established church?
1: Yeah. It, it, it We do have many of the same expenses. That's right. Um, I would say places where we aren't spending a lot of money are on the property because we don't own it. We rent oh, okay. a corrugated sheet metal barn. <laughs> I could not make that up if I tried. And uh, the landlord keeps it in basic repair, but any improvements we want to do, we just do ourselves. Mm. And so there's a real kind of DIY attitude around yeah. the property. And it's not the cleanest place you've ever been. It's not brightly lit. It's, you know, but it is exactly what it's supposed to be for us yeah. and we don't really own any property. So our liability insurance is quite low. We we pay the right insurance for people who rent property and it yeah. just doesn't cost us much. I, big churches that have big facilities are, they're writing big checks to insurance companies. Yeah. Um, yeah, in fear of a, a lawsuit or whatever, but, yeah. um, uh, and then in terms of personnel, yeah, we, um, I'm full-time on staff, but I'm the only full-timer. We pay other people part-time salaries for little their little niche part of the work. Yeah. I wish that were not the case. I wish we could pay them a, a whole living wage for the incredible gifts they bring to us. So I, I have some regrets around that. But, but here's what we've done. We are telling a different story about that money, about yeah. those resources. Um, our budget, which is on our website, um, uh, is broken down into categories of jesus's own ministry
2: mm.
1: and so because we figure if jesus didn't do it then the body of christ probably shouldn't be doing it yeah. <laughs> so like the first the first thing in our budget is uh announcing the reign of god and inviting people in Ooh. so under that we throw parties we're in parades we print up stuff we pay for our website every all that announcing and inviting stuff that we do to say the reign of god looks like this and you are invited yeah. in that's first and then next is preaching and teaching healing and feeding um, eating and drinking with friends. Mm-hmm. That's like a whole category in our budget because that's something Jesus did so much. They said he was a glutton and a drunkard. Right? So we want yeah. to eat with friends. So there's a lot of money for food in our budget. Yeah. Welcoming children is mm. a big part of right. Jesus did that in yep. the gospels. There's just all these things, right? So we've divided those uh, categories out and, uh, sorry my phone was interrupting me there um, okay. and um, then we can take things like the rent for the barn
2: mm-hmm. and that can
1: actually be applied toward uh, yep. I mean, worship,
2: parts. yeah
1: right worship and spirituality yep. and eating and drinking with friends it can be it can be parsed out on all these things we do that Jesus did yeah um, same with my salary which is a yep. you know the num- the big expense in our budget actually can be divided out among all the different ways that I support these, uh, actions, this way of life that we're trying to do together.
0: Hey, this is such an important point. I think that I want listeners to, to get, I remember I tried to do this at my first church. I took like our, our terrible mission statement and I took like the, the previous week's board minutes or previous month's board minutes and like highlighted them to each section that correlated. I thought, to the mission statement, just to try to get this point across that yeah. everything we're doing needs to fit into part of our mission statement. And I think, I love the way you're you're saying it. And I think it's such an important point that uh, even older established churches can take from that each item of your budget doesn't need just to be a boring item. It reflects your ongoing ministry. And I love uh, that you're pointing that out.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, well, thank you for that. Tell me uh, real quick, we'll kind of take a break after this. Okay. And tell me what maybe spiritual practice you've developed through the years or that you've developed among your church folk that you'd recommend to others.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's serving us best now during the pandemic is a practice actually that we've been working on together as a church for all the years of our life together. And that is the practice of narrating our lives to each other, hmm. uh, like like telling our own stories, spiritual autobiographies, as part of God's large and ongoing story of the world. My story is a part of God's story, and learning yeah. to tell my life that way is important. And it requires an accompanying uh, spiritual practice of listening hmm. to people's testimony and believing what they tell you. Wow! That sort of dual cool thing. Um, and as we learn to narrate, to, to tell each other about our lives and to listen to each other and believe while we mm. listen, that grows into this deepening of relationship and a strength of bond that we could never make only by sitting in worship together or, yeah. you know, or, or only by serving in a food pantry together or whatever. It yeah. really turned toward each other.
0: This was certainly a tradition in in my Baptist circles growing up, and I'm curious if it was the same for you in the Church of Christ this testimony time. No, oh, okay,
1: <laughs> we did all head, no heart. <laughs>
0: all head, no heart. That's interesting. Me
1: the Baptists were out there emoting <laughs> over stuff, we just yeah. weren't <laughs>
0: fascinating. Fascinating, yeah. The power of story and sharing our stories with one another is such a vulnerable, um, yeah. grace field endeavor. So, well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for some closing questions. Okay. All right. We're back with Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Katie, some closing questions you can take as seriously or uh, not as you'd like to. Tell me, if you were Pope for a day, what is your big thing?
1: (laughs) If I were Pope for a day, I would write a papal encyclical declaring that patriotism is a sin. Wow. The fragmentation of the human family. Wow. That's it.
0: (laughs) That's big time. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. So this is maybe is a good follow-up question, like what theologian or Christian figure would you, maybe you cite in that?
1: Hmm. Well, probably, probably Walter Brueggemann has been most influential to me in thinking about the danger of nationalistic borders, Mm -hmm. that just the falseness of imposing borders on the world that God has made. Um, Ellen Davis, mm-hmm. some Hebrew Bible scholars in particular who have thought about Israel's own national identity and the appropriation of that for American Christian patriot, patriotism, yeah. like Christo-patriotism, which is very strange and scary to me. Yeah. Tell me, I'm, I'm
0: sure you're familiar with Phyllis Tickle, I imagine.
1: Yes, quite. There's an,
0: there's an evangelical guy, Brady Shear, who kind of talks in similar type language mm-hmm. about. Social media and the internet being like the biggest change in communication in 500 years. Mm-hmm. Kind of in that way of thinking, what would you say history will remember this current time and place for?
1: Yeah, I think that social media and the internet generally has led to an expanded worldview for almost all of us. I mean, the world is just a lot, lot bigger than we thought. Yeah. And I'm- At least I can remember when it was not this big. (laughs) We didn't have access to it all. And that expanded worldview meant that we all sort of, like all across the world, we became aware of each other in new ways. And I think what remains to be seen is whether having become aware of each other, the whole human family sort of looking at each other now, do we like each other? Hmm. Will we love each other? Wow. Enough to dissolve borders and boundaries and actually uh, work in concert with each other or for a more dystopian future, Yeah, having now seen each other, wow. do we now realize that we don't really like each other or trust each other or care very much about each other's well-being? Well, that's a, t- a
0: book right there, I think, Katie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's great. Well, I think you're hinting at it right there in your answer, but- do you have a guess of what Christianity will look like then in five hundred years?
1: Um, I'm hoping that within the next half millennium, we discover that there's life apart from life on Earth, sentient life even, Whoa. not just on this planet. And oh my gosh, I hope that we have the most curious uh, spiritual explorers uh, who want to go there, wherever it is, and listen. Just listen to the stories that those sentient beings have been telling their own stories of origin mm. about how the world came to be, about wow. how it broken, and about what it would take to redeem it, to repair it. Wow, um, that's a
0: whole nother podcast right there. That's another book right there, Katie. Wow.
1: Oh, oh people have written that book and I oh, just have they? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Like uh that book, oh, we've all read it. The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell.
0: Okay, I'm just check that out.
1: Hi Fi about yeah about a future where uh only the Vatican has money anymore for space uh. travel and exploration, because the Earth has kind of come undone, and uh, so they agree to fund uh, an exploratory trip to a new planet uh, if they can put a Jesuit on the <laughs> excursion. And they send, yeah, they send this amazing priest out.
2: Mm-hmm. To meet
1: these sentient beings and to report back like what is it going to take to convert them to Christianity, but the open wow. question is like do they need i i don't know do they need Christianity as we know it, or maybe they have their own stories of creation, fall, redemption Wow, you should listen first
0: yeah, that's a good that's a good lesson here for us to end on
1: yeah, okay, good
0: tell us tell our listeners where they can find out more about you.
1: I I am torn about how to answer that. I actually have a website. It's pretty new to me. I've never had anything like that before, but I sort of needed it because I have a book. Yeah. So so Katie Hayes, no E in Hayes.net is that. I will say though, that if you really want to know what I'm doing day to day, where I'm, where my heart really is and what I'm engaged in Galileo church Mm -hmm. on all the socials, including TikTok, where we have 180 followers as of today. We're very excited.
0: Yeah, speaking of new, right?
1: Right, yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thanks, uh, Katie, so much. And uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule. And uh, peace be with you and your community during this time of, of the pandemic and all. So,
1: Thank you, Lauren. Peace of Christ to you and all your beloveds. Take care. All right.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.